Welcome back to episode 42 of the Hockey House Podcast presented by Selly Hockey Co., where we cover all the latest news in non-NCAA college hockey here in the United States. I'm your host, Mackenzie Murphy, joined by Stephen Glick, Colin Fitzgerald, and executive producer David Herman. Be sure to check out SellyHockeyCo.com for your next team order. Selly Hockey Co. is doing team orders now. You can head to their website and under the tab Team Orders, check out latest on crewnecks. You can do snapbacks. You can do t-shirts. Whatever you're looking for for your team, Selly Hockey Co. has you covered. Just be sure to check out their team orders tab and get it done. Uh, we worked with them to do an order here at Syracuse, and it's awesome. Hopefully, hats are coming in by Thanksgiving, so the boys are pretty fired up about that. We'll throw it over to Fitz first. Fitz, how's the pro hockey life treating you? It's been a grind, boys. I'm living in a Motel 6 right now. I guess I'll start there. Herm, I apologize, but the car's going off in the background. You know, it's it's going well. We're actually not even done with main camp yet. This Thursday will be done. First game Friday. We had a scrimmage exhibition game against Watertown. I just can't get away from, you know, the ACHA things. Our bus that was supposed to show up just breaks down. So we all drive ourselves down to Watertown, which was only two hours. But it's just like, you know, it's one less ACHA um, type of thing happening to me before the, the pro career starts. So other than that, everything's been going well and uh, excited for the season. How much have you talked to your brother about? you know the the lifestyle of living on the road i know he's definitely been through it a lot yeah he's he's become one with the hotels so gave me this little monitor i got going here i could play xbox on it he's got all little tricks set up for me but i'm probably gonna have to send them back to him soon because he'll be leaving before i even come home it's funny i had to ask him how to use a uh you know those little laundry loops they give you at uh i go from acha to people doing my laundry now at the rink and i was asking like what am i supposed to do with my socks like i don't understand how you you because there's no like two holes to the sock you can't like loop uh like a shirt you could just loop it in there it's easy so he had to show me on facetime how you like use this drawstring thing to like push the sock down so yeah he's been a a big help for sure we had those at, at Bridgeton when I played, and it was awesome because you got your laundry done every day. We're trying to implement them here at the house because every day after practice, we have six guys, and it, it costs a dollar fifty and quarters to do laundry in the basement of our house. The landlord is just take scraping money off of us but no if everybody chips in a quarter and we just all have a laundry loop it would make it a lot easier so that's my goal set maybe second semester we'll have q's hockey laundry loops for our house glick we'll throw it over to you next how are things at temple oh it was a great weekend for the temple owls we took a trip down south this weekend on friday we hopped on a bus went down to virginia played george mason got a big win there stayed at some shady hotel in a town called triangle i know herm's like shocked and i was shocked too i didn't even think it was a real place i had to double check the address so my coach sent it to me then the next day we went up to annapolis because we were playing navy that evening so we just kind of spent the day in annapolis it was a beautiful day play navy wasn't the result we were looking for but it was it was a good game came back up and sunday morning what was the final score of the navy game final score of the navy game was 3-2 it was it was just a really close game all around and you know it really could have gone either way yeah because I, I know in preparation for playing delaware we watched their film against navy we were watching that in the hotel before the game but herm some interesting things going on in in athens ohio this weekend it's never not interesting in athens ohio so in case you didn't see on twitter the bobcats lost to the fighting illini by a score of four to one without the game being 
completed fully. In between the second intermission, the Olympia left a giant puddle in its wake, completely flooding part of the ice surface, and short staff at Bird Arena meant that the issue wasn't necessarily properly attended to, and the refs brought out like squeegees and trash cans. The game was called, and despite both teams having like a scheduled game in February, where they're going to be at the Big Pond, uh, where they could technically complete the game, it was ruled a 4-1 Illinois win. Technically, it's a, a split, which is interesting. We were supposed to have Ryan Higgins and Andrew Wells on to discuss, and I'm very, very curious to hear their perspective. So we'll have to hear that in a later night, but looking forward to, to hearing what the locker room atmosphere was like as Bird Arena was Bird Arena. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Bird is attached to uh, a swimming pool, correct? That is correct. Yes, it ah, is. The irony, right? Just a, just a tough scene all around. I'm not going to complete, you know what, I'm, I'm going to full send it. Look, here's the deal. The highest paid employee at the university right now is our football coach, Tim Alden, and they are one in seven, and uh, Bird can't get a proper Olympia, so would really like the, the university to get their priorities straight. I usually have a Q's football joke there, but th- they won this weekend. We're back on track for a bowl game, even though... During the game, I said that I was out on Syracuse football because they won't give Sean Tucker the number 44 like he deserves to wear. I wanted them to lose because then they can get a new coach eventually, but maybe grab Coach O in free agency because he used to coach at Cuse. Tough weekend for the Orange again. Went to Delaware. Close game Friday night. Played with four defensemen for most of the game. We had two of our freshmen, D-man, get injured in the first period, so that uh, you know, jacked up my playing time for the night, which was which was fine. Sunday we just we ran out of gas and, and lost five nothing after losing four three the night before. Huge shout out to James Witherite. He is the head of four twelve communications and the head of Delaware Hockey Night. They have a tremendous stream. I know they had technical difficulties during the Saturday game. Heard a lot about that from all the Q's fans. But for those of you who have not played at Delaware, he is the play-by-play guy on the stream. He's the public address announcer, and he sings the anthem for each game. So if you're watching the game via live stream, You'll hear him talking to the microphone over the PA, and then he also sings the anthem. And he does a great job. Like It rivals the anthem. Who's the anthem singer in Chicago? I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it sounds pretty similar to the the Chicago anthem, and they do the light show at at Delaware, too. It's It's a fun place to play. Olympic sheet, not quite as big as the pond at Illinois, but overall solid rank. Much more enjoyable experience than playing at Chelsea Piers. I mean, there's a reason that it made the Battle of the Barns competition and had that upset over South Carolina in the first round. It's a good place to play. Yeah, and they had a, a decent crowd too both nights. Their women's ACHA team was in attendance and they all had cowbells, so it made it pretty loud, especially when they capitalize on their power play goals. But that's a story for another day as as Cuse looks to get into the win calm. Talking about the weekend, a, a huge one for us that we, we loved covering was Missouri State sweeping Central Oklahoma in their pink the rink weekend. You do all that, and I think the the only expectation is to get four points out of the weekend. So shout out to Louis Shanks and the boys at Mo State for getting the job done. And, and that just looked like an electric atmosphere. I know that that was a rink that maybe didn't do as well as they could have in Battle of the Barns, but it looked awesome there. Yeah, Michael Signoli's photos did that atmosphere justice. It was electric. And speaking of things that were electric, not a big deal. Pink Whitney threw Louie's photo up on their story. So when we were saying that that we're boys with the, the Chicklets guys, who knows? Who knows? 
Yeah, and, then, and not even that. Chicklets dropped their their Danbury Trashers merch, and sure enough, one of the guys from IUP rocking it off the bus, and, and the Danbury Trashers swiped up on our story and enjoyed the feature. So the Hockey House Pod is rapidly growing on social media right now, and and so it, it's exciting to see you know who's who's finding us at, at this point in the game. Tell your friends and follow the page, boys. We are growing like nobody's business. We're trying to be those guys in the ACHA space right now. Yeah, if you play in the ACHA and you don't follow the Hockey House Pod at this point, you actually live under a rock. Like I, I, I don't know what else to say at this point. Almost seven and a half thousand followers at this point. So if 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 you're not one of those one of those people that's already following us on Instagram, be sure to hop on and share with your friends. Make sure they're listening too, because like we mentioned, no one covers the ACHA and for that point, the CHF like we do. Utah State, they won their teddy bear toss game against BYU after beating Utah Valley the night before. Um, I know that post got a lot of engagement, but that that place is just rocking every night at, at Utah State, and they have such a home ice advantage there. The thing that we keep getting notified about is, and Herm, I know you've included them in the in the photos, Utah Valley and their, their green practice jerseys that they love to wear. It's not good. There are so many good uniform manufacturers around the ACHA that we just need one of you guys, whether it's Rebirth, Jog, X jerseys. I don't care if Coho comes out of retirement to design these jerseys. Like, you got to get something, seriously. Do we have any inside information? Are they voluntarily wearing practice jerseys or are they I don't know. waiting on jerseys I to come? I do in? not know. And it's a tough look. Yeah, they, they could look so, so good. It's a bummer that Utah Valley doesn't look sharper than they do right now. At least they got some practice jerseys to wear because when I was at Indiana, I was still wearing my high school practice jersey uh, all four years that I was there. Well, I'd say the, the alternative to that, and we have it on the list, South Carolina swept the College of Charleston this weekend. And in both games, Charleston had mismatching jerseys, which I think I'll take the practice jerseys. I'll, I'll take everyone wearing practice jerseys over having mismatching jerseys or having the goalie wear a different colored jersey because, I mean, the, those guys at South Carolina, they have great stuff and great photo recaps and awesome videos, but it just looks terrible when the team you're playing it doesn't even have matching jerseys. Yeah, it's got to be a rough look if you're trying to post a picture to Instagram and two guys behind you are wearing two different jerseys that are different than yours. In some other CHF action, we had Auburn taking down Tennessee in their first game playing at their new home rink. Shout out to the Auburn boys. They've been making some noise early on this year in the CHF, talking with them, setting up another interview with those guys. So huge shout out to them for for getting off to a good start. A team who notched their first win of the season and their first win of their rebranded name was Roosevelt. They took down Western Michigan 2 Two to one in overtime, snapping a five-game losing streak. I know they traveled to Bird Arena earlier the year, but Roosevelt, formerly known as Robert Morris, Illinois, good to see them in the win column now. I'd love to see some teams in the win column, you know, who are doing well. But ACHA has yet to release rankings for Division Two, II, Division Three men's and women's altogether. It's kind of a bummer. I mean, we've been reposting the ACHA men's Division One rankings each week, and that gets a lot of engagement. People love keeping track of. Who Who's moving up and down? And I know the D2 guys especially look at it and just shake their heads. They're not the only league. I mean, D3 yet to have rankings and and the women's side of things yet to have rankings. So hopefully those come out sooner than later. Fitz, you'd love to see those rankings, right? I would love to see those rankings just to see Indiana get snubbed again for however many years in a row it's been now. No, they haven't been off to a... uh... 
a very good start. So I guess it doesn't even matter. Even if you do beat good teams, you still wind up not making it. So yeah, I'd love to see the rankings. And that that's a job that I would not, I don't envy is making the D2 rankings with there, with there being so many teams and so many rankings. It, it's nearly impossible to get it right when they do release them. But when they do get released, we'll be sure to repost and share and, and we'll let you guys know what we think. In terms of D2 games this week, we had NC State hosting Kentucky for two games, and they uh, they beat down the the Wildcats pretty good. That second game saw over 140 penalty minutes. Seems like the boys from Kentucky were, were making their presence known when it wasn't quite on the scoreboard. And speaking of making their presence known, I got to give a special shout out to the NC State Ice Pack social media team for having a little bit of a dunk. Before the series, Kentucky Hockey tweeted out, quote, Time to bring the party down to North Carolina. See you tomorrow at NC State Hockey. And then after the series, NC State quoted that tweet and said, some party for y'all, wasn't it? And just posted the final scores of both games. So, you know what? We, we got to tip our caps to the team at the NC State Ice Pack. Huge shout out this week to Robert Morris goalie, Kevin Mackey. He recorded his first career goal in Robert Morris's 4-1 win over Buffalo. Um, it was one of those classic instances where Mackey was the last Robert Morris player to touch the puck before Buffalo ultimately iced the puck into their own empty net. Shout out to, to Kevin Mackey for getting to keep the puck on his first career goal and Robert Morris getting a big win over Buffalo. He didn't even look like he knew he scored until at least like 30 seconds after the fact. He just saw his teammates come in to celebrate with him. And he was like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, it was pretty bizarre to watch. It seems like the guys were gesturing towards the crowd. I don't know if it was Robert Morris fans who made the trip or if there were Buffalo fans giving him a hard time. But yeah, the, the celebration afterwards was a little wild. Nobody really knew what to do. And I guess that's what happens when the other team ices the puck into their own net. Good to see a goalie get credit for that one. I'm sure he'll remember that for a long time. In some ACHA D2 action, UNC Wilmington completed a crazy, crazy comeback over UNC Chapel Hill, scoring on a wrister with like 13.6 seconds to play in the third period to tie it up. And then Zach Schrock went top ched with 1.6 seconds to go to win the game for the Seahawks. They were hyped, hyped up at the Orange County Sportsplex. Another shout out to uh, the Arizona State women's ice hockey team. We've been trying to get a little more women's hockey coverage on the podcast and they're huge supporters of the pod. Great uniforms, too. I, I've said nothing but good things about their not only their their home set, but their road set are, are pretty good for the Sun Devils. They traveled to Colorado, made the trek up to Boulder, and for the first time in program history, they beat Boulder in, in a 5 nothing win. So shout out to the, the Sun Devil women for their big win this weekend. One last piece before we head to the interview. Shout out to Murph posting a story about how ACHA players were going to do on their midterms and posting a slider between bad and good and academic weapon being the best option. Uh, he misspelled academic weapon weapon which is a pretty good indicator of how we feel like murph is going to do on his midterms so any defense for yourself on that one yeah i mean academic weapon i should probably just leave that term to glick i think he he uses that the most out of all of us so i should have just handed the rope over to him for that one last couple of weeks were pretty stressful long weekend hate playing those saturday sunday series on the road where you get back at midnight and then have to get up at 8 a.m for your class the next morning so it's been a long day unexcusable to to misspell academic weapon Murph, i believe in you i know you're a uh, real good third period player grinding it out throughout the game things don't go well in the midterm you always got the final you know exactly exactly and, and the, the midterm midterms are always a good wake-up call too to see where you're at and 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 if you got to put more effort through so 
like I said, second half team here coming up. Things we're also looking forward to is our interview this week with Bob DeGemis of the University Hockey Report. Bob played goalie for Villanova back in their days of D3 NCAA and was there uh, when they made the transition his senior year to being an ACHA program. And he, for the longest time, saw the writing on the wall with where the ACHA was going and has been a proud supporter of it ever since. So he was a great person to talk to. Probably knows as much as we do in, in terms of ACHA. He's been covering it for a long time, especially those teams in the Philly area he likes to follow. So we were really excited to have him on the podcast this week, and that's coming up next. We're pleased to be joined by former Villanova goaltender and the man behind the University Hockey Report. Please welcome to the Hockey House, Bob DeGemis. Thanks, guys. We've been meaning to have you on the show for a while. We've been a big follower of the University Hockey Report since we started this. I think I followed that as a player before we even started the Hockey House. We're psyched to have you on. I think you have a really interesting story of how you got involved in the ACHA right away. Kind of take us through where you grew up and how you ended up at Villanova. I grew up outside of Hartford, Connecticut. My folks didn't play hockey or anything like that. And I have an interesting story about how I fell into hockey. And I'll date myself because the date matters. And we got a Michigander here who might appreciate this. So in 1982, these guys drive into to the driveway and they get out of the car, three guys, big guys. And they say, is your dad here? And I said, no. My father owned a clothing store, a retail clothing store, the Italians. So I was there on Saturday. It's like going to a restaurant. They're like, is your mom here? Yeah. So they come up. My mom has no idea who these three guys are. They introduced themselves and said, hey, I'm Gordy Howe. This is my son, Mark, and my other son, Marty. Uh, we're with the Hartford Whalers. Uh, your husband won a raffle, and my mom's like, I have no idea who you are. They gave us a hockey stick that was autographed, and we trashed that in the driveway. And then a book, it was called Hockey, Here's How, H-O-W-E. And there's all these illustrations with him and the boys, and then uh, learn to skate lessons. So that's how I got hooked on hockey when the Howes were in Glastonbury, Connecticut, wound up trickling down 95 to Philadelphia to uh, Villanova, who in the 80s and 90s was Division III, ECACE, uh, Division III NCA. What was nice about that is they were playing all the small schools that were pretty much at home for me. So Quinnipiac, Sacred Heart, uh, UConn, Fairfield, Iona. What happened was in the 90s, all those schools, a lot of them were division, they're division one for every other sport. They're playing division three hockey. And the NCAA said, no, 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 you can't do that. You either have to boost up to division one or drop the program down to club level. So obviously the rest is history. Quinnipiac is now what they are. And then Villanova, Fairfield, Iona went down a club. So I played my final year. It was the first year I played of ACHA. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised in 1998-99. And I could see the writing on the wall then of where this thing was going. I, I love that you bring that up because I've been following you for a long time. And I just assumed that you played ACHA hockey at Villanova. And it wasn't until I want to say about August, I think you had a big Twitter thread about how it all went down at Villanova. And that was really cool to to see. And I'm just curious, we ask everybody who comes on the show what their welcome to the ACHA moment is. But for most guys, that happens their freshman year. As a senior goalie, what was your welcome to the ACHA moment? In reality, it was probably even before then while we were NCA because back then there was still a lot of overlap between some of the top ACHA teams. I mean, primarily Penn State, but some of the others as well. So there were a number of Division three schools that would put a couple of ACHA teams on. And Penn State then would definitely clean up 
half of Division Three long before they became what they are now. I already understood like what it was. <laughs> put it that way, before we even became ACHA. Gotcha. Anything crazy that happened your senior year where you're like, whoa, like this isn't NCAA anymore. This is uh, closer to club hockey. I was pleasantly surprised with the level, and it worked out great for us. I mean, the hardest part was, like anything, I mean, managing expectations. You had kids that went to a school who went to play hockey, some of them like as a priority. So you had kids transfer. You had some kids that just were older, and they're like, eh, I'm going to get an internship, not play. It was funny because my senior year, it, it kind of got rid of Deadwood. Like kids that weren't really playing hockey just because they loved hockey, like they left. They transferred because they were that into hockey or they didn't play because they wanted to go party or spend more time in their career or whatever. So the kids that were staying really wanted to play. And we actually sort of had a couple younger players who came out of the woodwork who were really, really good. Fitz, we'll throw it over to you to get started. Yeah, once again, thanks for coming on, Bob. We appreciate it. Tell us about some some big rivalries that you had back in the day when you were playing games. Is just you know nowadays you smile when you think back on uh, playing those teams. Well, it started with the NCAA days, and what's funny is like now you know again some of this may not have the meaning for younger players as it would have for me. You know the first rivalries was our our league in the NCAA, which was the ECAC South, which was. Scranton, who's now also ACHA, Fairfield University, also now ACHA, Iona, also ACHA. Um, so half of our league was in the same boat as us. So I mean, today, the younger players now, like they don't necessarily have that connection. But like, for me as an old guy, I'm like, oh man, I wish they would put some of these teams on the list. And then of course there's the Philly five teams. I mean, we love playing Drexel. You know, we sort of took them for granted back in the day. Westchester, that's always been there because before they were even NCA, they had history with them. Temple, of course. And then the other Penn State or Pennsylvania teams, Penn State being the other one, but now it's just apples and oranges. Lehigh, you know, so there's a whole bunch of clubs that, that had history before the NCA days, then during the NCAs, and then and then after. Naval Academy. And there's other ones that I would say would be natural rivals that could be cultivated from other purposes. Um, you know, the old Big East schools like Syracuse or Georgetown or, you know, there's a whole slew of them that when I look at the, the, the rosters or West Virginia that, that should be, if I was making a schedule, if I was running the show, it would look like that. It would uh, look like a lot of Big East and it would look like our old league. You know, playing in Philadelphia club hockey, I can confirm 20 years later, it's still the exact same. We're all really big rivals. Tell us a little bit about the rink that you played up back then. So we skated at the time at the Haverford Stadium, um, where St. Joe's skates now. I'm not sure if any other ACHA teams are skating out there. I don't think so. Villanova's bounced around between a few different places, between Westchester, Aston Iceworks. And actually, what's interesting about Philadelphia hockey, like if you're interested in history, when I went to Villanova in the 90s and also in the 80s, when that was a, an NCAA team, a lot of the players, and this happens all the time even now, were transplants. It was kids that trickled down 95 from either Southern New England or from New York. And there would be a few Pennsylvania kids. You know, hockey really blew up with a sonic boom in the 70s. Why? Because Philadelphia Flyers won two Stanley Cups in a row. And then right up that corridor, you know, it just continued on because you have 1980, right? The Olympics, the Miracle on Ice. And then you have the Islanders win 1980, 81, 82, 83. So that little space up 95 from Philadelphia to New York City, like 
there was like a boom. So like kids who are like my age and older kind of missed it, but like it was growing while I was there. You could see it. Like there's so many good hockey players from New Jersey and Eastern Pennsylvania now. It's just come so, so far. You know, I can't say enough about Philadelphia hockey and New Jersey hockey. And there is history there. I mean, you know, people who know their stuff know that uh, Hobie Baker is from Bala Kenwood, Pennsylvania, right next to Philadelphia. And Penn hockey has deep roots, Princeton, Lawrenceville, and other stuff. So, like, it's it's not new that more seeds were spread, I'd say, after the Flyers in the mid-70s, and it's only gotten bigger. Yeah, I would say coming from New England, um, from North New Hampshire, but they they call it the Bobby Orr effect. It's like a million rinks went up in the 70s after the Bruins won those two cups. Uh, I, you mentioned Penn too. That's a, that's a rink that gets a lot of talk because uh, Penn doesn't have varsity hockey, but they have that rink on campus. I know Drexel calls it home. Uh, how many times have you skated there? We skated there a few times. We played Drexel there. Actually, we never played Penn when I was there, which is unfortunate. I think that went up late 60s, early 70s, you know, when they, they had their team. But that, that building has had its day. I mean, it's hosted pre-Olympic games. I mean, it's it's had some pretty neat stuff in there. You know, we, we spent a, a couple times uh, in that rank. Talking about your playing days a bit, that transition from Division three to ACHA, was there a difference in how you were treated by the school, or was there already a kind of a difference because you guys were division three compared to the division one athletes i think the hockey because even when we were nca we were definitely back shelf for better or for worse in some ways it's not necessarily always a bad thing you know if anyone was in trouble they weren't going to be on the front page of newspaper or something uh so with the general community like they some people i don't think they understood the difference i mean and in reverse you have schools like penn state like prior to what year whatever year they went nca 2010 something like that i mean i don't think any of those kids understand or understood back then that they weren't an nca team they're just like they they are our hockey team. That's what's interesting about ACHA hockey is that some of the schools that never went up or down, they were always club or ACHA. I mean, especially ones with rinks on campus, the kids at those schools just automatically assume that they're an NCAA team, like Ohio U or Liberty or whatever. They're just like, what do you mean? Like they're our team, the varsity team, right? It's kind of the reverse of what my experience was at Villanova, where I think people just always assumed we're a club. Moving towards after your playing days and, and starting the the university hockey report you you mentioned earlier you kind of could tell from a really early stage that the ACHA was going to be a legit product what from your playing days made made you think that well I mean even my own experience I mean I wasn't totally done when I was at Villanova I got a call at the end of my senior year is uh, right at the end of our season so it was end of March or something from an agent in Ontario he was like hey listen if you're interested in trying out and basically it was like your experience with the FHL it was basically the equivalent at the time it was the UHL if you guys have seen that the Danbury Trashers uh, Netflix special it was the the previous iteration of the ushl or uhl ushl way different <laughs> the the uh the uhl so i got a call and he's like hey listen you want to have a tryout with the uhl team in Asheville, north carolina uh the Asheville smoke and i was like yeah absolutely so that summer basically i just went home landscape worked out and and then in october just like you right now i went down to or Asheville and i made it pretty long i made it for over a week and they went through through, I don't know, three, four other goalies. So I was there with another goal 
goalie who played in the CCHA for a now defunct team, unfortunately, uh, Illinois, Chicago, UIC. So I was sort of playing second fiddle to him. And then they got somebody who got filtered down from Canada. And that was the end of my, my pro run. And so I had the honor of being cut by Keith Gretzky. And then after that, I, I found my way to DC because one of my buddies, actually Syracuse, one of my buddies I put with that at Villanova was working for Congressman Jim Walsh on the Hill, whose son is now the mayor of Syracuse, who actually spent a summer with us while we were in DC. I transitioned into this DC life. Little did I know that the, the hockey would keep pulling me back and pulling me back, even though I got a day job while I was there. Nobody likes the day jobs. <laughs> the day job was good, but it was like, you know, one of my friends, actually, and this is back to how the next piece of my ACHA experience happened because one of the Villanova guys who I played with, his sister had started the club at University of Maryland, and this is late 90s, and she kept asking, she's like, hey, we need a coach, we need a coach, of course, they don't pay. Finally, I was like, all right, so this is 2002, we're talking 20 years ago, and she's like, we coach, she's like, fine. So women's hockey really blew up. Up after 98 because 1998 was when the first women's Olympic hockey was in Nagano. At that time, like most of these women's clubs, like half of them couldn't skate, but there'd be like two or three of them that were, that could, that were really good. So it was really, really odd. So anyway, uh, my first foray into coaching of any sort was ACHA women's hockey at the University of Maryland from 2002 till whatever it was, 2006, 2007. And by the time we, we finished in that small amount of time, five, six years, it looked very different. Like women's hockey had clearly grown just since, like, again, 98. That's where it started. And then I started picking up other stuff, coaching while doing my day stuff. You know, you play the ACHA and you've been following it along for a very, very long time. You've seen how much it's grown. Where do you see the ACHA going in the future? Well, this is like what I'm so fascinated by, like right now. I mean, because now I think I have more questions than I have answers. I think I had more answers 20 years ago than I do now. My own kid plays, he's a mite, so he's like eight and under, you know? And so you think 10 years out and you're like, all right, what's ACHA hockey going to look like? It's hard to tell because one of the questions that I asked on, I mean, it's comp- it's going to obviously keep getting better and more and more professional professionalized, but where teams get better and who decides to leave ACHA to make the jump to NCA will change things too. Because again, like when you, whenever you see that ranking list come from ACHA, it says like how many teams have won the national championship and Penn state's still there at five. But I mean, they're like the Detroit Red Wings. They won those all back in the nineties. Like once they make that jump, and I hate to say it, what happens is unless it's Adrian, who's an oddball, every school that has an NCAA team on campus, some of those ACHA teams are really good, but they're not very well funded and they don't have the notoriety on campus because you're the second fiddle. Like if you're the only game in town at University of Illinois or at Ohio U or Navy or whatever, Syracuse, you're the only game in town. That kind of helps at least with prestige, if you will. Who those teams Teams, like some of those teams that are the top 20 teams, like some of those might be gone in 10 years. But I will say that more and more teams will just get more better and better and better. I mean, you can just look at the rosters. It doesn't take like a trained eye to figure out that when you look at the rosters of these teams and where the players come from, 
I mean, it's it's competitive to make a D2 or a D3 team, never mind a D1 team. I'm talking ACHA. It's going to be tough. The other piece that I mentioned that'll be interesting too, and this is something that was kind of pumping long before the summer. You know, the summer's big battle with the NCA was the Supreme Court decision, the Alston decision that basically said the NCA could not prohibit an athlete from capitalizing on their name, image, and likeness. And I have been saying for like pounding my hands for like 10 years, I'm like, if I was a player right now, I'd be doing lessons. I'd be pumping all kinds because there's so many opportunities to make money. And the clubs, whether it's club hockey or other sports, like if you say you're like a triathlete, like if you want to do like be a Peloton star, heck, you could like make bank and that's your training. You know, there's all kinds of like creative things that just have opened up in the last, you know, iPhones came out in 2008 or whatever and YouTube in 2007. And now here we are with laws that are changing and now you know ACHA players can do all kinds of things that would have been unimaginable years ago and here's another example the day may come I mean and it's it already happens now we have there's NHL teams high level junior players that are playing in ACHA but I'm fascinated to see whether and and this will affect ACHA there was one player that was given a waiver that played in the OHL to play Division One NCA for Bowling Green. Well, if that occurs and players from the CHL are allowed to play NCA hockey, there's going to be a lot of back and forth from Canadian players coming down from the Canadian Hockey Leagues, Western Hockey League, Ontario Hockey League, Quebec Major League, and playing NCA. And that's going to press even further players down in ACHA. And then never mind the fact that we had this COVID thing this year and how many players got pressed down the pipeline because of that. So, I mean, it's just going to be like wild. Like the just caliber of talent out there is just going to be, it's unbelievable. It's just a question of like how it gets capitalized on in the next 10 years. Bob, I think you, you bring up a good point in, in talking about what the, the possibilities could be like if major junior hockey players are allowed to come back down to the NCAA. We already talked about it with the, the COVID year really created a log jam of talent. And now guys are kind of seeing what the ACHA is all about. I think you also bring up a good point and it really depends on what teams go NCAA, like a team like UNLV right now is on a lot of people's radars, but if they go NCAA, does that take some of the charm out of the ACHA? We're, we're seeing it with Lindenwood right now. That's a team that's kind of been at the top of the rankings the past 10 years, and they're making that transition to the NCAA. Are there any teams right now that you think would be perfect fits NCAA-wise? Any of these monster schools, like giant state schools, I mean, and you know, there's a good number of them that already have a rank. Illinois, you know, is talked because they're obviously Big Ten. You guys have seen the articles, like the usual suspects. I mean, you know, that's the first one that comes to mind. And then there's, you know, some of the other ones, the Arizona, even if that occurred, it's just next man up, man. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, and again, that happens at a, a glacial pace. Like you're not going to see 15 schools all at once go up. You lose one. It's just one more team that's going to pop up the charts. One spot. People love to prognosticate about, Oh, it'd be so cool. If like these, this school is NCA or that school is NCA. And it's funny, like, and this is what I always chirp about on Twitter. When you hear like kids that are presently or ACHA players. And the first thing I think to myself as a coach is like, you think you'd be playing if they're like, you know, you think you'd be on this team if they, made this NCAA tomorrow? Hell no. They'd be pulling players from all over the world. I mean, that was what was so cool about Penn State and, and even like Illinois now. 
I mean, Penn State in the 90s, it was the best of the best players from from Pennsylvania that didn't leave, basically, which is great because you have this tie to the state. You know, you represent the state you're from. And there is good hockey in Pennsylvania. And then you're also paying state tuition. So, yeah, are there players from Pennsylvania that probably said, hey, I want to play Division Three and go pay, you know, real tuition dollars to play NESCAC or something? Sure, have at it. But, you know, if you want to stay at home and play with your statesmen and go to a school that's less expensive and also a very big research school that has probably opportunities that Division Three small liberal arts schools probably won't have, I mean, that's a good opportunity. I mean, and you could make that analogy to a number of ACHA teams, whether it's Illinois or Ohio U or Rutgers or, you know, Arizona. I think that's a, a good point. We talked to Greg Powers and they were, it's never, ever going to be done what he did. And they took a majority. He said his only regret was that he didn't take the whole ACHA team and have them play that first year in Division One because at that point they were recruiting guys from the USHL. They were guys from the USHL who wanted to go down to Arizona State and play college hockey there because it just looked like a better experience. And I think I look at it from the perspective if I wouldn't want Syracuse to go NCAA while I'm here because I, I enjoy playing on the top team. But 15, 20 years from now, if they go NCAA, I can be like, hey, I played hockey there. No one's no one's gonna know the difference. Yeah, they're not gonna ask you what year you graduated. Be like, oh, it's a couple years ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want the stock to go up. Now, Villanova, like in, in defense of Villanova, most people didn't even realize it was NCAA from the get go. So, uh, unless you're a real nerd, you know, hockey nerd, but yeah, you want it to go the other way, or at least get better as a club. But while you're there, I mean, I don't think it's. I think you need to be happy with where you're at. Comparing year to year to year, you can't really do because it's just not, it's comparing apples and oranges. So we get made fun of quite a lot for playing in the ACHA. I think one of the main reasons we started this podcast was just, you know, spread knowledge and more insight onto what the ACHA actually is. A lot of the times we'll get, you know, feedback from kids who go to like some no name NCAA D3 school that, you know, they're playing uh, NCAA there and we're playing the ACHA. What advice would you give to, you know, a prospective player that's looking between going to that no-name D3 NCAA school or choosing to play in the ACHA? Well, first of all, there's a lot of no-name Division One NCAA hockey teams. Right? Like, I, like unless true. you're a hockey geek like we are, uh, uh, you go in New York and tell them, uh, ask them about Bemidji State and see who responds to that. Well, they'll, they'll get a blank stare. Yeah, like. No, they went to the Final Four, really. Oh, that's cool. All right. Yeah, sure. Club? Yeah, they don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Unless you're going to one of the top 20 NCA Division One teams. I mean, unless it's like Notre Dame, BC, Cornell, you know, Michigan, everything else is just you're going to school for your experience and for your education. You know, I mean, if you're paying any tuition, like that's number one, of course, you know, um, that's the thing. If you're playing division three, you're paying tuition too. So, you know, yeah, it might be in your calculus. You want to play a higher level or something, but again, you also got to realize, and like, this is what a lot of play, like a lot of kids and, and adults don't maybe not don't, I guess, appreciate is that, 
a lot of those Division three schools are small schools. So unless it's a Swigo or something, they're not getting more than 500 fans. Like you can go into 500 fans a dime a dozen at ACHA schools. A lot of them now, like that's like that's like peanuts. And unfortunately, like the Philly schools, you're competing with a lot. But if you go to any major big state university in the country, I mean, like that as an ACHA school, they're going to pull down for, you know, anywhere from 1,000 to 3,000 fans. I mean, no problem. Because, I mean, you're in a school that's like 40,000 people. I mean, what's it to get 3,000 people in the rink? You know, Georgia can get 3,000 3, people just saying they have beer there and like it's something to do. Kentucky can do the same right it doesn't even matter if it's good like people will go exactly i had a buddy at kentucky and it's like they just know the nashville predators are the best team in the area and then after that it's just college hockey and that's all there is that's right it's the only game in town you hinted at it a little bit but i know one of, one of your latest twitter rants was regarding new england's views on the acha <laughs> and as a kid growing up in new england my dream was like i gotta find one of these schools to play d2 any 10 or d3 whether it's nescac or one of the ECACs, I think it's tough for New England guys to kind of realize what the ACHA is because everybody hammers home like, no, every, like most of those schools have college hockey teams and the ACHA isn't very prominent at those schools. That's right. I mean, so New England's hockey history, the schools back the the hockey teams institutionally. And so therefore all the colleges or a, a, a large segment of colleges, whether they be big or small in New England, have NCAA team so when you grow up there like that's all you know you're like you know you watch the bean pot you know and you you know you know the division three teams because they're nearby you know me and harford you could drive draw a circle around me an hour and it would be like just starting with division three you got trinity con college williams amherst and then before quinnipiac sacred heart you know salve regina i mean there's a zillion of them because they always sponsored ice hockey as a collegiate endeavor in new england there aren't a lot of schools left the where the opportunity is for new england players are one at schools that don't have an ncaa team so you guys were chirping at bates bates is the one the the only nescac school right that doesn't have a have an NCA team. And meanwhile, they have a rank. So what a cool place that would be. Meanwhile, they're doing like COVID testing or whatever on the floor. Yeah. But, there, but there's others too, like Springfield College, or there's a few others that are floating around out there. Keene State and Roger Williams are two teams that we like to follow. Well, Roger Williams had an NCA team. They were ECAC uh, with us. They were the North version, and MIT was too. Those guys are low-hanging fruit for the reiteration of themselves in the ACHA form. But again, like when you have all that right there, you just take it for granted. And then the same for Minnesota. And what I've been thinking about here in Michigan, which is kind of different, is that there's almost no Division Three hockey for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's very few small universities in the state of Michigan. So you've only got two Division Three schools. You got Adrian and you got Finlandia way up in the UP. And then they have that whole ACHA league, which is very good. And the reason why, and I finally figured out, they're all NAIA schools, Aquinas, Dearborn, all those guys, because they basically, for whatever reason in Michigan, they weren't big into playing NCAA Division Three, and they all played NAIA for all their other sports. 
So that's why that league with Lawrence Tech, with Cleary, Davenport, Grand Valley, it's a good little league, Michigan-Dearborn, because they basically are the Division Three of Michigan. That's a league that we touched on on episode 41 because this past weekend, Lawrence Tech upset Dearborn on home ice and overtime. And that's exactly the, we were talking to the Lawrence tech guys kind of, they were giving us some insight and it's like, yeah, it's all former NAIA schools and we just have ACHA hockey teams. That's why this league is so competitive. That's right. So, I mean, you've got basically the mega hockey of, you know, Michigan, Michigan state and whatever, etc. former CCHA schools, aside from Adrian and Finlandia, it's all ACHA. That's why the headquarters are over in Troy, etc. Like there's good reason for that. Again, even for the Michiganders, it's good that they get a taste of that and that they know that there's that ACHA hockey matters. And then meanwhile, also you've got like the Sioux uh, College in Ontario that plays those teams too, which is kind of interesting. They get a taste of that, which New England doesn't. As a result, you also have other Michiganders who say, you know, maybe I want to go to a big school. I mean, I could play at a Cleary or Aquinas or whatever, but I do want to go to a bigger school. So then your answer is, well, I'm going to go to Georgia or Kentucky or whatever. And so there's your, you know, that drip, drip, drip from the north, you know, where opportunity knocks is is south. So that's good. Before you go, though, we want to know what's, in your opinion, what's one of the most exciting places to watch ACHA hockey when you look out and you see all the teams that you cover? It's got to be Liberty. I mean, you know, I've been down there and that place is is wild. I mean, I really, like I was saying, like I went down and, and tried out in Asheville, North Carolina and the upper south, if you will, or Appalachian South. It is is such beautiful country, really, because it's high and it's mountainous. It's kind of like New England; it's just a little bit warmer. You have this kind of like vibe, you know, this this hockey vibe that is definitely translating. And because they put such resources into that team, and and that's those are questions that can be bandied around by you guys. Why is it? that some of these schools like a Liberty are are putting resources into their club team, not just hockey too, by the way, other stuff as well. In the case of hockey, could be an NCA team because they have a women's team as well. So they're Title IX eligible. Like, why is it that they're staying away from that? I mean, part of it might be geography, travel and stuff, but I don't know if there's other reasons why that is. And there's there might be good reasons for administrators to, in the next 10 years, to say, listen, like, let's fund programs, but let's fund them as clubs. Like, why why do we need to be NCA? It can be top quality without being that. And Liberty is, has done that. Yeah, and I think, like you were talking about, like, the, the top 20 NCAA teams are all recognizable schools. I, I look at a Liberty, it's like, well, if they joined Atlantic Hockey and they had to play Bentley on a Friday night instead of playing, you know, a school somebody's heard of, are they going to draw the same crowd? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I think they probably would at their place. I think they, because again, they've got this tradition. They're the only game there. And it's just interesting to know why it is that they, st- I mean, I'm happy that they are, like that they've made ACHA a priority and that they feel that it's important to fund it and recognize it. When you look at the way they do club sports there, I think that's cutting edge to recognize recognize competitive club sports as something distinct from like rack or intramural, but also not the same as like NCAA division one. And I think they've found sort of this slice of 
what might be the the wave of the future for for hockey and for other sports too that's something that we'll see down the road because again i was saying earlier like one of the things i was banding around today was whether club sports are part of the calculus when a school is being decided whether they're compliant with title nine if a school wanted to have teams and the answer as far as i know is no so if you want to have teams and get third parties to fund them you can have them and just make them not nca and then you don't have to worry about the title nine red tape but i'm just saying if there's natural demand for x or whatever and like you're trying to make the numbers work like just the way the market dictates it yeah i think that's a really good point like if some businessman in syracuse wanted to fund the hockey team and have he could be the owner of the hockey team i guess if he really wanted to totally like what happened with byu football and all these boosters why is this not happening already with club teams for ACHA or other sports, you know, it could be rugby, could be something else. Some guy wanted to basically slap, you know, his logo all over a rugby uniform and make it look like it's European or something. There's nothing stopping that, you know, and all this media now is, is, you know, you guys make it happen. Bob, we thank you for taking the time to meet with us and, and we'll, we'll keep in touch over the season. And once again, thank you for joining us. You can follow Bob and all of his work at the University Hockey Report that on Twitter. That is at Campus Club Puck. So once again, thank you, Bob DeGemis, for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. It's great being with you. Once again, thank you to Bob for joining us this week. That interview was presented by Selly Hockey Co. Be sure to stock up on Selly Hockey gear for the fall. Crewnecks are perfect this time of year, and Selly Hockey has plenty of new styles to choose from, with their latest one representing the city of Seattle. Selly Hockey Crewnecks are a classic fit with no center crease, guaranteeing a comfortable fit every time. Be sure to check out Selly Hockey's newest apparel item, a new Eden Hall tie-dye shirt with a black and red pattern that mimics the popular purple tie-dye Mighty Duck shirt that they had previously released. So be sure to check those out at sellyhockeyco.com. Once again, thank you to Bob for coming on. He provided so many insights on not only the transition that he made as a player going from the NCAA to the ACHA, but how the ACHA has progressed since he played. Murph, without looking, how do you pronounce his last name? The gemis. The gemis. Did I mispronounce it? <laughs> no, it's just the fact that you started oh. on it. <laughs> oh, boy. What you guys don't hear in the background of the editor's suite is uh, multiple takes on, on that last name. So Yeah, and I, I had to apologize to Bob because I, I got the got the pronunciation twice from him and then wrote it down how to pronounce it and then butchered it the very first time we introduced him on the show. So shout out to Bob though for being a good sport and all the work he has done the past couple of years in, in promoting the ACHA and doing so and, and, and defending the league on Twitter. Murph, I always thought you were the biggest ACHA fan there is on the planet. I think after that interview, you have some competition. I think he might be a bigger fan than you are. I think if, if I were going to war for the ACHA, I think I would grab Herm and I would grab Bob and, and we would go to battle with the keyboard warriors on Twitter. The U16s. That's who we're going to war against. Yeah, actually, I need Bob's help on TikTok. <laughs>
defending the, the ACHA in the comments section. Maybe, maybe I got to tell him to hop on. Herm did a good job of kind of going and finding out all the, the undefeated teams in the ACHA. So we figured we, we'd run down that list. Starting with Division One, we have Iowa State, who is 12-0, NYU, who is 6-0, and Minot State, who's 5-0. Those are the teams who have played a minimum of five games and are undefeated. And I don't think there's any real shocker here. I know Iowa State, we talked about them a lot last year when their Division Two team made a deep run to nationals and lost in the national championship game to a, a powerhouse you marry team what they're doing in Ames is you know remarkable in terms of the recruiting they do for their division two team and and how that influences how competitive their division one team so I'm not surprised at all to see how successful they've started off the season in the division two ranks there's a the handful of teams who are undefeated starting with Miami Miami of Ohio they are a 11 and 0 followed by Maryville and Ryder who are each 8 and 0 Florida Gulf Coast 6-0, and and the University of Iowa also 6-0. and A couple of familiar names in there. I know Florida Gulf Coast is, is a well-known name in Division II ACHA, but a, a couple of teams that, you know, maybe we don't talk about enough on the show when it comes to ACHA Division II action. So, Herm, you've been keeping an eye on the D2 Maryville boys. Big shout-out to Elma Muheljik. I believe I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. Social media manager for Maryville D2 team who advocated like really, really heavily to to feature the boys from Maryville. Like both the D1 and D2 teams are on a heater right now. We're specifically going to spotlight D2 in this coming interview with Matt Simmons, Sally, and Scout Stalco. Awesome. Then moving along to Division 3, want to highlight this team. New Mexico off to a 10 0 start. It is the best start in program history. They beat the record that was previously held, I believe, from the playing days when their head coach w- was playing in the ACH. So that was really cool to see the defending national champion Hope College off to a 5-0 start. And then Notre Dame's Division Three ACHA team is off to a 6-0 start. On the women's side of things, Liberty jumped out to a 4-0 starter in Adrian. Ahead of them with a 6-0 start in Division Two women's, we have Delaware is 5-0. And then Lake Superior State, who has a huge presence on TikTok, they are off to an 8-0 start. So good to see those teams jumping out to, to a lot of wins in the win column so far. Keep in mind also, that those records may be pending just because the ACHA website is a little bit spotty. There may be a win extra. There may be a loss extra in that list that is unaccounted for because of unreported final scores. So don't yell at us if we got any of that wrong. Yeah, there's an asterisk next to those. those, uh, And it's not not us to blame. So game of the week this week. We've got some good matchups, but uh, we're going to head down to Lexington. It just said Kentucky with like seven syllables. We're going to head down to Lexington. Oh my gosh. (laughs) For this week's game of the week, we are heading down to SEC country as the Kentucky Wildcats will host Division One Alabama Crimson Tide in Lexington. That'll be a good one to watch. We know they play their games at midnight down in Kentucky, and we've got a Division One team who probably would like to be in a better position than they currently are, traveling up to face off against the, the Kentucky Wildcats. And I think that'll be an interesting one where it kind of a – a measuring contest between the ACHA Division One and, and ACHA Division Two. I know Fitz has plenty of memories from that barn down in Kentucky. We have lost Fitz, it seems like. I think the Momo Six Wi-Fi got him. Yeah, yeah. no, no worries on, on Fitz's end. I, I, 
<laughs> I thought maybe he was on like a 45 second delay and we'd just get his answer eventually, but we'll keep rolling. Unless he's doing like the mannequin challenge or something like that. I'll be really curious to see how that goes because like we saw NC State swept Kentucky this past weekend. So let's see how Kentucky can do against a Division One team and I know we saw Division Three Arkansas go to Oklahoma and get a win over a Division One team. Anything can happen in the SEC. We'll be sure to be watching out in this week's Hockey House Game of the Week. And other games to watch this week, we have a, a battle in the city as Stony Brook and NYU take on each other, take each other on on Friday night at Chelsea Piers, um, and then they'll travel to Long Island for the second half of that series on Saturday. Um, This will be an interesting one. NYU, as we mentioned, is undefeated, and they'll be playing a a white-hot Stony Brook team that is very good, coming off a sweep of URI following their upset sweep over Adrian on the road. Another game to watch for, it feels like we're talking about these two teams every week, and now they finally get to meet each other. UNLV and Missouri State are going to be battling out. Herm, where is this game taking place? Games in Vegas, Murph. That'll be an exciting one. I know we saw in the comments last week, Louis Shanks of Missouri State and Nick Flanders of UNLV talking about getting together and creating some content while Missouri State's in town. So be curious to see what those boys come up with this week. But that'll be another fun series to watch. Central Oklahoma swept UNLV. Missouri State went and swept Central Oklahoma. And so now we get to see UNLV and Missouri State duke it out. So that'll be a good one to watch. Herm, I know you have this one circled. The Bobcats traveling to Adrian to take on the Bulldogs on Halloween. This is going to be an exciting one. Yeah, it's going to be a great road trip. Um, home and home for Bobcats and Bulldogs. And I'm excited to see what goes down in that series. Bobcats are looking to bounce back after that freak weekend with the Illini. Yeah, and the Bobcats were the the first team to beat Adrian last year during the COVID year. I know we talked about how difficult of a schedule the Bobcats had, and you know they were hanging in with the top teams, maybe not getting the results, and they were the first team to knock off Adrian last year. So an exciting one to watch. In D2 action, we got a good one. This is a game that we saw in the national tournament last year. You, Mary, and Providence are playing each other. We talk about how you, Mary, is so good on home ice, but Providence is one of those few teams who have taken down the Marauders on home ice. So be sure to be watching that one as well. Personal on this one, but another exciting game this weekend in Syracuse. The Oswego State Lakers travel to Tennessee Ice Pavilion for uh, uh, a game that wasn't originally on the schedule, but got scheduled last week for a Friday night matchup. This one certainly gets interesting as Chris Timmons and, and Jordan Alhart were on staff at Oswego for their ACHA team, and they have since moved on to Phil the void that was at Syracuse over the summer. Herm, I know you know the new head coach at Oswego very well, Travis Hyde. He's done nothing but great things since he stepped behind the bench for Oswego. So it'll be a battle and and it's a huge two points for both teams on the line. And then lastly, in terms of games to to check out, the annual Buffalo Meltdown Tournament is going on this weekend in Buffalo. That is the games that that take place outdoors at the Riverworks, at the Buffalo Riverworks. Uh, It's an outdoor rink right outside the Labatt blue factory in buffalo that's got a a roof over it but no walls so it's a pretty cool place i know acha teams from across the country travel to play in this thing and there are games also at the harbor center and 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 the north town center down in amherst so plenty of acha teams will be you know traveling to buffalo new york for for games this weekend which is 
going to be fun. I know I know a lot of guys love not only getting to travel, but anytime you get to play outdoors is a, is a blessing in this league. So good luck to those teams that are, that are taking the ice in Buffalo this weekend. We've talked about it a little bit on the pod, and net, looking back on it, we probably should have addressed it with Bob when we had him on. But talking a bit about the standards between Division One, ACHA, Division Two, and Division Three, and what certain teams should be entitled to when they're playing in their given leagues, and I think a key thing that should be addressed is quality of the arenas and and i know herm's big on this one but live streams too i think there should be certain expectations set by the league for you know the the quality of facilities that games are being played at and in the live stream um herm i don't know if you want to you want to add a little bit more to this choppy internet should not be a reality in 2021 figure something out in terms of a technical solution, consult your university's IT department and make something happen. Like if it is a one camera, no score bug, no fancy anything, that's acceptable. As long as it's consistent and not stuttering and actually can follow the play, provide your parents, fans, alumni, individuals who can't make the game with something that is one, quality, and two, reasonably priced yeah definitely i think in terms of like the league wanting to be successful it's always good to have stuff on footage if an incident happens you want to be able to look back on it and and address it if you know god forbid somebody gets hurt really badly and you got to review the tape to see if it's worthy of a suspension and on the the other side if if there's a highlight reel goal we want to be able to see it and we want to be able to post it and share it so those things don't happen if if you don't have a quality live stream and like herm said you just need the basic camera get it set up and i think these are things that should be talked about when when teams are considering moving up to the division one level is is are you holding your program to that standard so something we want to address and and if you're listening to this you have any questions about how to to get a better live stream we've got a great team at cuse and i'd be more than happy to answer some questions and then herm knows a lot about that stuff too and and we can get you in touch with the right people and and asking the right questions so feel free to reach out if you have any questions regarding your team and, and the way you guys do your live stream and i think another thing top teams should be doing is before the game making sure that that little program is done well with the opening lineup and the national anthem. I th- I feel like some teams kind of skip over that, just don't even do a, an opening lineup for both teams or just the home team. But I feel like if you know if you want to have a professional product, we've been talking about that, ECHA being more and more professional, that's just something that you got to be able to do well. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think like I don't want to sound like we're being too harsh on teams, but you know, if, if you can't do that, that there's ACHA Division Two, there's ACHA Division Three. No one's saying you got to play in the top league, but I think if the ACHA really wants to give Division Three hockey a run for its money in terms of the product on the ice, that's when these kind of things come into play. And I think, like you said, like like national anthem and starting lineups has got to be given for every game, and it makes it a better environment to play, and it gets guys more fired up overall. So I, I think that's a great point. This week's question of the week comes uh, submitted from from a listener and a player, and we're more than happy to answer it. And I think it's a good one considering how much we've grown uh, the past couple months here. First question is, is what are the boys plans after college? And and that's where I'll throw the first one to Herm and Herm, you can kind of talk about what you've been up to post college since you've, you've already graduated. Sure. So I took a, a sales job out of college worked for a year and a half, found myself a little bit unhappy in the role and pivoted over to tech sales. And that's where I'm at right now and really, really enjoying it. Just looking forward to the the progression with the company I'm at right now. And then since graduating from 
Indiana. Fitz has uh, joined us from a Motel 6, and I know he addressed it at the start of this podcast, and I'm, I'm hoping his Wi-Fi is working to the point where he, he can hear me because I see him smiling. But Fitz, what have you been up to since the days you graduated? Listener's note, Fitz just completely cut out at this point. Fitz, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll cover it. And <laughs> Since he graduated from Indiana University, Fitz uh, has been chasing the pro hockey dream. And we talked about it at the start of the show when he had much better internet connection. He's currently uh, under contract with the Binghamton Black Bears of the Federal Prospects Hockey League and hoping to make his pro hockey debut uh, this coming Friday night. So we're, we're more than happy for him. And then looking at the future, Glick, what, what are your plans coming out of college? Hopefully in about a year and a half, I'll be graduating with a bachelor's in risk management. So... Basically, I just want to go work in the insurance field, want to be either an insurance underwriter or an insurance analyst. And uh, if anyone knows, you know, their dad is at an insurance company and need an intern, tell them to hit me up on LinkedIn. Self-plug for Glick there. In terms of myself, uh, I'm an advertising major here at Syracuse, so I'd love to get into that game after college. I, I like working in sports, too. I've enjoyed my time with the athletics department here at Syracuse, and that is for sure something that I'd like to do after college. But I know that the sports industry is so cutthroat and the jobs are so low paying at the beginning. So after seeing how the the, the hot dog is made in college. I'm not quite sure if that's the industry I want to get into. The dream at the end of the day for myself after college, and I think for this podcast, is to do some kind of thing where we take this show on the road for a year. And there's so many great places around the league and around the country where non-NCAA college hockey is an awesome product. And I think we'd love to do nothing more than travel from to each of those places, whether it's going to South Carolina one night, going to Kentucky another night, traveling up to Adrian for a game, Bird Arena for a game, going to the La Haye to watch a game and kind of doing like a, I don't know, I know Barstool did it back in the day where they would travel to different college football places and kind of like a college game day atmosphere and turn the hockey house into something really big. And so, I mean, that's it. We're a year away from making that decision. And so that's really exciting in terms of how much we've grown. The goal with doing that would be to be picked up by a huge media company, whether that's a, a company like Barstool or or Vice or SB Nation or Bleacher Report, somebody to take what we're doing and, you know, kind of put us on a bigger stage. So that we'd love nothing more than do that. And that's the goal of the podcast. And as we head into Halloween weekend, make sure everyone's being safe make sure we're not celebrating too hard and, and, and causing havoc on the hockey house this weekend and if we got any great team parties going on with with group costumes we'd love to see them so be sure to share photos of any funny halloween costumes from the weekend and uh, everyone good luck this weekend and stay safe